Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Jenna Cato Bass's latest film, Good Madam, is a daring horror satire that is set in modern-day Cape Town, South Africa. The film begins with the death of Tassidi's grandmother, the woman who raised her. Because of her grandmother's death, Tassidi and her daughter are forced to move in with her estranged mother, Mavis, who has lived and worked in a wealthy suburb of Cape Town for most of Tassidi's life. The film Good Madam addresses issues regarding apartheid-era domestic servitude as well as the legacy of colonial land theft. The story behind Good Madam is compelling. The acting is superb. The look of the film is beautiful. It's a terrific film. We're fortunate to have with us today the director as well as co-screenwriter Jenna Cato-Bass and the co-screenwriter Babalwa Bartman. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Before we get too far into our conversation, I really want to convey to the audience that this is a very passionate film. It is in some ways quiet and understated, but what is going on in terms of the dynamics of the story, the approach you take, which is part drama, part family history, part South African history, as well as a horror story of sorts. Being able to convey this multidimensional story is successful because the writing is so sharp and the acting is so well informed. Jenna Cato Bass, what was the inspiration for Good Madam? You know, it's actually it becomes harder to answer the question that question the more time passes because you start to think of like all the different things that did actually inspire it. With like hindsight, you kind of get insights into like why you thought of it, and at the time you you were thinking this is why I'm doing it, but then you realize afterwards it was for a whole lot of other different reasons. For a very, very long time, I'd been wanting to make a horror film um, as someone who came quite late into getting into horror because I was just too scared to watch horror films as a, as a kid. And as someone, you know, as a young person getting into cinema, I was like, horror was the genre I just couldn't touch. Like I could read the scripts, but I couldn't watch the films. So only like in my like late 20s, I think like I got into horror and I was just like, this has always been this genre that's been off limits to me. And I really just, I just fell in love with it. And just also just, I think as so many people are talking about more and more recently, realizing the potential for, you know, social critique um, in, in the genre and the way that it kind of allows us to kind of look at the bad, like unsightly parts of our society. And so I kind of was really into doing this genre, but I didn't necessarily have the story. And then, you know, it kind of takes a time to kind of put those pieces together. So yeah, I just kind of really just became very fascinated with the fact that I suppose I'm interested in the things that, despite the fact that our society has so little in common um, among so many different people, there are certain things that are so common to everybody. And I felt like the figure of the domestic worker is just something that like every South African has some kind of story or connection to, and for better or worse, in very many different ways. And looking at the people, you know, women usually who work as domestic workers is this kind of like, just as this constant reminder that our society is not okay, despite all the kind of 
counter narratives around, um, you know, the new South Africa and wanted to tell a story about that and what is really horrifying about, about society rather than like a monster or a ghost, you know, it's like, what is, what's the real monster and what's the real ghost and like, what are the real things haunting us? And um, yeah, it kind of, kind of moved from there, I suppose. Babalwa? Um, I guess in the approach to, to writing the film, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess the best way to, to answer that would be it's, it's the kind of conversations we have, you know, and, and I think that really informed the way in which we, we approached how we, we told the story is being able to have, you know, open and honest conversations about the issues that we face in this country and, and the roles that our respective backgrounds and how the roles that our respective backgrounds play um, and the impact, you know, that, that it has. The way in which we write, I guess Jenna and myself, is that we, we, we have lengthy, 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 lengthy conversations and we, we need to have honest and flowing conversations and it needs to feel honest, you know, to the both of us when we're telling the story. And I think this works particularly for like this particular genre. Um, and it, it is quite funny that it is, you know, it's a story that's written by a black and a white woman at the same time. Well, not funny, but I guess crucial, you know, in that in, in how honest we want to be, you know, in really telling the story of inequality within the framework of, of telling the story of women of color as well as Madam herself. And I think the way in which we approach the writing process, which is to be quite inclusive and workshops, you know, and the research were also quite informative in how we approach the narrative of the story. Something as crucial as a conversation with Omama or like uh, Omama, mother's woman, you know, who have worked as domestic workers and how just that one conversation with them, you know, about the story and how we want to approach the story, you know, like highly influence, you know, just the, the point of view. Um, yeah. I think at some point, you know, Chenna and I were asking a lot of questions and it, it felt as though where we stand and we're highly representative of our generation, you know, we were pushing questions that they had long made peace with, you know, so almost like, you know, opening up old wounds. And I think that kind of like shaped, you know, Tidi's character a bit more, you know, to be this individual that's just constantly pushing and asking all of these questions to her mother, who made this in the story, who is for, for the longest time, maybe not prepared to see the world in the way that she sees her. Uh, and she actually doesn't, you know, because she has probably made, well, she has, you know, she had made peace with that part of her space. So just that dynamic was also just highly informed by just opening up the conversation honestly to, to, to many of the individuals that we collaborated with. And it gave the story the much needed layers um, and perspectives needed to be able to, to be truthful, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, about, about the state, the state of affairs in the country, you would say. Well, that's it. It's an interesting, I love that idea because first of all, I am assuming that the film is intended to take place in a post-apartheid South Africa, right? That's that's the setting of it, right? Because in some ways it feels like it could have taken place in apartheid South Africa. Yeah. Which yeah. Very intentional. Jenna, go for it. Oh no, I'm just yeah, I mean I think yeah that it's the reason we chose to set the film about the subject that we chose, which is, you know, a domestic worker and her family, because, you know, there's so much dialogue and narrative around the fact that our country has changed so much for the better. And I think our generation very much is, is looking at that story and going, what has changed? Because yeah. I see so many things that are the same. And the domestic worker and the fact that, you know, Black women are working for minimum wage for 
white families, not only white families, now, you know, anyone can have a domestic worker in the new South Africa, that kind of legacy remains the same as it has for the past, you know, since the colonial, since the colonization of the country. It's really just like, yeah, I mean, look what, like, this is the same. And the fact that you say this could be said during apartheid, I mean, that that's the real horror really that's right the there, is, is that nothing has changed, or at least certain things haven't changed, but they're pretty important big things that haven't changed. So haven't changed. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it, with the exception of, of some of the sort of outside uh, newer cars, uh, somewhat of a yeah. sense of a little more mo- upward mobility among Black South, South Africans is okay. It's probably not. But at the same time, it's still marinating in that in that system. And I feel so much uh, like as much as we in the West, we in America feel so much more advanced in the, in sort of culturally and politically than South Africa so was a pariah for so many years. The basic outlines of systems of repression and class and wealth and so many things, we're not that much different here in the United States. And I just sort of, I, 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 the reason I'm bringing this up is we, I think it's anything, any story that pushes us to examine ourselves, which I feel like that's what this this story does and what the the dynamics of the story. It's about power. It's about a lot of things. Um, I think really is is so first of all, it's brilliant the way it's it, it it unfolds, but also it's so important that we have stories that may not, in a way, they're removed from us, but at the same time, if you really start to think about it or talk about it with somebody, we're not that much further along. Yeah, no, I remember like as a child in like high school, learning about some of, you know, the like the race laws and like the racial history in America and being, oh, it was the same. Why wasn't that called apartheid? I couldn't understand how it was called apartheid here, but it wasn't called apartheid in America. And yeah, yeah I guess I still don't really understand, to be honest. I, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so that, that's that's really interesting. And, and the again, one of the other elements in the story is the internal uh, dynamics of the family to see these and CC and the and the and the extended family. Those are really interesting the way those play the those characters interact and become, you know, in and out of the story of what's going on at the house and the house itself. Again, metaphorically, there's a lot of places we could go with the metaphor of the house. Ball, ball, wah. Let's talk about the importance of the house. So you're referring to, to grandmother's house, right? You're talking about where TD comes from, where TD comes from before she moves into. There is that, but I'm also talking about um, the yeah. the house, yeah, Madam's house, Madam's house. Thank you. Yes, the fact is, what you're describing is another part of the element of this power dynamic, this system of of oppression, is the diff- the mm. juxtaposing of the houses. And as we see, to see to see, see at the beginning of the story, wanting to expand the house, wanting to make it bigger, and 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 the pushback she gets. So th- these are very important dynamics in the story, right? I mean, I guess starting from you know from the grandmother's house. Um, I think the idea there, you know, just looking at, you know, the death of the death of an elder in the household and then, you know, what transpires um, beyond that. During that time of death, you know, like in our in our culture and tradition, it's a, it's a time of mourning, you know, it's a time of peace. And I think that's also just a universal language. Um, but for things to get that far, you know, is, is, is really just a comment on how the way that things are in a democratic South Africa and a post-apartheid South Africa is that people are so on top of each other that 
we're beginning to lose sense of who we are because the primary focus for people is survival. So it's once again, just looking at that impact within even the family that the grandmother is barely cold, you know, in her grave. And, you know, the ugliness of, of, of inequality just raises its head because it becomes an opportunity, you know, for everyone in that moment. And then I think to, to yank TD out of that space and put her into Madam house is once again to just show that contrast because now you're coming into a space that also offers so much hostility and is just as rejecting of her, but is completely empty. So, so all of that was just intentional once again to just to highlight the, the ridiculousness, you know, um, the ridiculousness of it all and to really just, you know, bring forward the question like when we say that we are moving forward and we say that things have changed, we really need to be able to, to, to analyze like what exactly is that change? Because it's not there, you know, if we're willing to have open and honest conversations, there is not much for the majority of people, not much has changed. Um, I think Jenna, you can add on to that. Again, it's the horror of that situation that we, I mean, in South Africa, at least we are like numb to, we just accept it. Like, it's like, like Mavis has accepted her situation and she has all the right, you know, excuses and reasons why Madam is a good Madam. Like we, we've just accepted that this is the way things are and change takes time and we need to be patient and the democracy is a new democracy. It's like not really a new democracy anymore. It's a whole adult democracy that's the horror is the fact that yes this house is empty while other people have no place to sleep like that's that's horror you know to me at least and it's it's funny on the one hand but it's also people's lives and we were just trying to wake ourselves up as the filmmakers to remind ourselves like what is horrific about our society because if we didn't have to make this film we would I guess not question it like you know I guess like most other people do. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with the filmmakers that were a responsible for this wonderful um, narrative film called Good Madam, and that would be the director as well as co-writer, and uh, Jenna Cato-Bass, as well as Babawa Bartman, who also is co-writer of the film. I want to get in a little bit of the filmmaking side of this because there are so many elements in this film that heighten the sense of tension, that bring to bear on these characters, uh, the way that uh, they're framed, the way that the, the sound is such an integral part of this film, and all of it is intended to, to really bring the story, this immediacy, as well as this almost unrelenting ratcheting up of the horror, the terror that awaits these people, and they don't know exactly where it's coming from or how, but it's there, it's looming. To you, uh, Jenna, as uh, the cinematographer, congratulations on the look of the film. There, And I hope you're okay with me to say there's a kind of a David Lynchian sort of uh, the framing look of it that, that really, <laughs> you're okay with that? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I absolutely take that. Thank you so much. That's really great. <laughs> yeah, no, it, there is. And then, uh, but also the sound, I was just so impressed with how that was int integrated into the story, certain uh, audio cues as to what's, what's possibly looming ahead, but also just continuing to kind of bring to bear on the story, another level of it. Talk a little bit about what went into your thoughts on, on terms of putting the sound together for the film. 
Thank you. Well, I thank you. I'm so glad you appreciated all those aspects of the film and also reminded me that I shot it because I actually forgot for a second. Um, yeah, I don't know. When you said and you're the cinematographer, I was like, oh, no, I wasn't. And then now I've just remembered that I was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the sound is always going to be like a very important part of the, of the film. I mean, for obvious reasons, because it is a horror. And I think that's something you can say of most great horrors is that, you know, so much of that, like, feeling of the atmosphere and what you experience as the viewers through the sound. So, I mean, that's a given. But then I suppose additionally, as a very, very, very low budget horror, um, we also knew that sound was always going to be very important for kind of taking the audience to places that we couldn't necessarily always do visually. And we have an amazing, amazing collaboration with our sound studio that we work with, uh, Sound in Motion, who've worked on all my films up until this point and, you know, very, very involved in the production. They really committed to just giving it absolutely everything. And so the film's actually mixed in Atmos, which is quite unheard of for such a low budget film. I suppose on, on one level, it wasn't even trying to necessarily outdo the expectations. We just really wanted to maximize what was possible with the layers of the film that we were aware of and how that could translate into sound. And for me, I try not to leave any stone unturned. Like if there's a way to affect the audience, then use it, you know, and yeah. sound obviously is a huge aspect of that. And especially with horror, but at the same time, we didn't want to take any easy shortcuts. So music, I mean, we originally weren't going to have any music in the film at all and eventually kind of revised that decision to have a quite unusual, but still very specific approach to the soundtrack. Yeah, it was just, you know, we had very, very specific brief and the decisions of what we made. Everything was really, really thought through and had a whole lot of reasoning behind it. And um, I hope that pays off. It definitely, I think it it seems... It seems to affect people, the sound. We get we get asked about it a lot. Before we go, we've only got a minute or so to go, but Babawa, um, the you were you and Jenna were collaborating on the production design, the look of this, and again, just beautiful, just an absolutely gripping design to it in the way that that felt like the sense of claustrophobia was part of what you were looking for. And it's just sort of almost the walls closing in on them in, in terms of at Madam's house and in, in, in other parts of the film. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes, no, definitely. Um, I think, you know, even Mavis's room in particular, you know, also just speaks to that, you know, just that interaction between Madam's space and, and Mavis's room just speaks to, that's the exact word to use, you know, just how claustrophobic, you know, the situation is. And I think that is the best way to, to really put it. I can't, I can't go beyond that. Should I feel like this is almost optimistic at the end of the film? Do I should I come away with a sense of possibilities maybe at the end of the film? <laughs> it's really up to you. I it think. really is um, up to you. Um, I well, think we, we wanted to make sure that like that's for these points are not usually in a horror film at all. And then, you know, normally would always get the kind of tragic end of the narrative stick. Um, we really wanted to give some element of hope for our characters who've been through so much but at the same time not do an injustice to the fact that society is messed up and that's not changing anytime soon the film is called good madam and we've been joined today by the director and co-screenwriter and that would be jenna cato bass as well as the co-screenwriter and wearer of many other hats in the production of the film and that would be babalwa bartman I want to thank both of you for your time. I want to thank you for this great work, good madam, and look forward to more work in the future from you. So thank you so very much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.